Chapter 12 of the Spinning Wheel Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. A LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Silva. Spinning Wheel Stories by Louisa May Alcott. The Hare and the Tortoise. Trump, trump, trump. That was the boys going downstairs in a hurry. Bump, bump. That was the bicycle being zigzagged through the hall. Bang! That was the front door slamming behind both boys and bicycle, leaving the house quiet for a time, though the sound of voices outside suggested that a lively discussion was going on. The bicycle fever had reached Perryville and raged all summer. Now the town was very like a once trunkled pool infested with a long-legged water box that goes skating over its surface in all directions. For wheels of every kind darted to and fro, startling horses running over small children and pitching their riders headlong in the liveliest manner. Men left their business to see the lads try new wheel. Women grew skillful in the binding of wounds and the mending of sorely rent garments. Gay girls begged for rides, standing on the little step behind, and boys clamored for bicycles that they might join the army of martyrs to the last grade. Sidney West was the proud possessor of the best wheel in town, and displayed his treasure with immense satisfaction, before the admiring eyes of his mates. He had learned to ride in a city rink, and flattered himself that he knew all there was to learn, except those feats with only professional gymnasts acquire. He mounted with skillful agility, rode with as much grace as the treadmill movements of the legs permit, and managed to guide his tall speed without much danger to himself or others. The occasional headers he took, and the bruises which kept his manly limbs in a chronic state of mourning, he did not mention. But concealed his stiffness heroically, and bound his younger brother to eternal silence by the bribe of occasional rides on the old wheel. He was a loyal lad, and regarded his big brother as the most remarkable fellow in the world. So he forgave Sid's domineering ways, was a willing slave, a demoted admirer, and a faithful imitator of all the masculine virtues, airs, and graces of his elder brother. On one point only did they disagree, and that was Sid's refusal to give you the old wheel when the new one came. You had fondly hoped it would be his, hence to that effect having been dropped when Sid wanted an errand done, and for weeks the younger boy had waited and labored patiently, sure that his reward would be the small bicycle, on which he could proudly take his place as a member of the newly formed club, with them to set forth in the blue uniform, with horns blowing, badges glittering, and legs flying for a long spin, to return after dark, a mysterious line of tall shadows, with lanterns dimly burning, and warning whistles sounding as they went. Great, therefore, was his disappointment and wrath when he discovered that Sid had agreed to sell the wheel to another fellow, if it suited him, leaving poor you the only boy of his set without a machine. Much as he loved Sid, he could not forgive his underhand and mercenary transaction. It seemed so unbrotherly to requite such long and willing service, to dash such ardent hopes, to betray such blind confidence for filthy looker. And when the deed was done, to laugh and ride gaily away on the splendid British challenge, the desire of all hearts and eyes. 
This morning you had freely vented his outraged feelings, and Sida tried to make light of the affair, though quite conscious that he had been both unkind and unfair. A bicycle tournament was to take place in the city, twenty miles away, and the members of the club were going. Sid, wishing to distinguish himself, intended to ride thither, and was preparing for the long trip with great care. Hugh was well to go, having been spent his pocket money and been forbidden to borrow. He could not take the cars as the others had done. No horse was to be had, and their own stud consisted of an old donkey, who would have been hopeless even with the inducement offered in the immortality. If I had a donkey, what wouldn't go? Do you think I'd whip him? Oh, no, no. I'd take him to Charlie's Waxwork Show. Therefore, poor Hugh was in a desperate state of mind, as he sat on the gatepost, watching Sid make his pet's toilet, till every plated handle, rod, screw, and axle shone like silver. I know I could have ridden the star, if you hadn't let Joe have it. I don't think it was right down many of you, so does Aunt Truth and Father do. Only he won't say so, because men always stand by one another and stop boys. This was strong language for gentle you, but he felt that he must vent his anguish in some way or cry like a girl, and that disgrace must be avoided, even if he failed in respect to his elders. Sid was whistling softly as he oiled and rubbed, but he was not feeling as easy as he looked, and heartily wished that he had not committed himself to Joe for it would have been pleasant to take the little shop, as he called the fourteen-year-older, along with him, and do the honors of the rink on this great occasion. Now it was too late, so he affected a careless air, and added insult to injury by answering his brother's reproaches in the joking spirit, which is peculiarly exasperating at such moments. Children shouldn't play with matches, nor small boys with bicycles, I don't want to commit murder, and I certainly should if I let you try to ride twenty miles when you can go one without nearly breaking your neck or your knees. And Sid glanced with a smile at the neat darns which ornamented his brother's trousers over those portions of his long legs. How's a fellow going to learn if he isn't allowed to try? Might as well tell me to keep away from the water till I can swim. You give me a chance and see if I can try it as well as some older fellows who have been pitched on pretty lively before they dared to try a twenty-mile spin, answered you, clapping both hands on his knees to hide the telltale darns. If Joe doesn't want it, you can use the old wheel till I decide what to do with it. I suppose a man has a right to sell his own property if he likes, said Sid, rather nettled at the allusion to his own tribulations in times past. Of course he has, but if he's promised to give a thing, he ought to do it, and not sneak out of the bargain after he got lots of work done for it. That's what makes me mad, for I believed you and I depended on it, and it hurts me more to have you deceive me than it would have to lose ten bicycles. And you choked a little at the thought, in spite of his attempt to look sternly indignant. You are welcome to your own opinion, but I wouldn't cry about it. Play with your chaps of your own size, and don't hunger after men's property. Take the cars if you want to go so much, and stop bothering me, retorted Sid, getting cross because he was in the wrong and wouldn't own it. You know I can't. No money and mustn't borrow. 
What's the use of treating a fellow like that? And you with great difficulty refrained from knocking off the new helmet hat, which was close to his foot as he bent to inspect the shining hub of the cherished wheel. Take Sancho then, you might arrive before the fun was all over. If you carried whips and pins and crackers enough to keep the old boy going, you'd be a nice pan. This allusion to the useless donkey was cruel, but Hugh held on to the last remnant of his temper and made a wild proposal in despair of the moment. Don't be a donkey yourself. See here, why can't we ride and tie? I've tried this wheel and got on tip-top. You'd be along to see to me and we'd take turns. Do see, I want to go awfully, and if you only will, I won't say another word about Joe. But Seed only burst out laughing at the plan in the most heartless manner. No, thank you. I don't mean to walk a step when I can ride, or lend my new will to a chap who can hardly keep right side up on the old one. It looks like a jolly plan to you, I dare say, but I don't see it, young man. I hope I shouldn't be a selfish brute when I'm seventeen. I'll have a bicycle yet, in number one, and then you'll see how I'll lend it like a gentleman and not insult other fellows, because they happen to be two or three years younger. Keep cool, my son, and don't call names. If you're such a smart lad, why don't you walk, since wheels and horses and donkey fail? It's only twenty miles, nothing to speak of, you know. Well, I could do it if I liked. I walked eighteen and wasn't half so tired as you were. Anyone can get over the ground on a bicycle, but it takes strength and courage to keep it up on foot. Better try it. I will some day. Don't crow too loud, my little rooster. You are not cock of the walk yet. If I was, I wouldn't hit a fellow when he's down. And fearing he should kick over the tall bicycle that stood so temptingly near him, you walked away, trying to whistle, though his lips were more inclined to tremble than the pucker. Just bring my lunch, will you, and is putting it up. I must be off. Called Sid, so used to giving orders that he did so even at this unpropitious moment. Get it yourself. I'm not going to slave for you any longer, old tyrant. Called you, for the trodden worm turned at last, as worms will. This was open revolt, and Sid felt that things were in a bad way, but would not stop to mend them then. Oh, here's a tempest in a teapot. Well, it is too bad, but I can't have it now. I'll make it all right tomorrow, and bring him round with a nice account of the fun. Hello, Bemis, going to town? He called, as a neighbor came spinning noiselessly by. Part way, and take the cars at Lawton. It's hard riding over the hills, and a bother to steer a wheel through the streets. Come on, if you're ready. All right. Springing up, Sid was off, forgetting all about the lunch. You, dodging behind the lilac bushes, heard what passed, and the moment they were gone, ran to the gate to watch them out of sight with longing eyes, then turned away listlessly wondering how he should spend the holiday his brother was going to enjoy so much. At that moment, Aunt Ruth hurried to the door, waving the leathern pouch, where, stored with cake and sandwiches, called coffee and pie. Sid's forgotten his bag! Ron, call, stop him! She cried, trotting down the walk with her cap strings waving widely in the fresh October wind. For an instant, you hesitated, thinking sullenly. Serves him right. I won't run after him. 
Then his kind heart got the better of his bad humor, and catching up the bag, he raced down the road at his best pace, eager to heap coals of fire on Sid's proud head, to say nothing of his own desire to see more of the riders. They will have to go slowly up the long hill, and I'll catch them then, he thought as he tore over the ground, for he was a good runner and prided himself on his strong legs. Unfortunately for his amiable intentions, the boys had taken a shortcut to avoid the hill, and were out of sight a lane where you never dreamed they would dare to go, so mounted. Well, they have done well to get over the hill at this rate. Guess they won't keep it up long, panted you, stopping short when he saw no sense of the riders. The road stretched invitingly before him. The race had restored his spirits, and curiosity to see what had become of his friends lured him to the hilltop temptation sat waiting for him up he trudged climbing the fresh air the sunny sky the path strewn with red and yellow leaves and the sense of freedom so pleasant than when he reached the highest point and saw the world all before him as it were a daring project seemed to flash upon him nearly taking his breath away with its manifold delights sid said walk and why not at least a lot and take the cars from there as Bemin's means to do wouldn't the old fellows be surprised to see me turn up at the rink it's quarter past eight now and the fun begins at three i could get there easy enough and by jupiter i will got lunch all here and money enough to pay for this car fare i guess if i haven't i'll go a little further and take a horse car what a lark here goes and with a whoop of boyish delight at breaking bounds away went you down the long hill like a colt escaped from its pasture. The others were just ahead, but the windings of the road hid them from him, so all went on unconscious of each other's proximity. Hugh's run gave him a good start, and he got over the ground famously for five or six miles. Then he went more slowly, thinking he had plenty of time to catch a train, but he had no watch, and when he reached Lawton, he had the pleasure of seeing the cars go out at one end of the station as he hurried in the other. I won't give it up, but just go on and do it afoot. That will be something to brag of when the other chops tells big stories. Well, I'll see how fast I can go, for I'm not tired and can eat on a long way. Much obliged to Steve for a nice lunch. And chuckling over this piece of good luck, you set out again, only pausing for a good drink at the town pump. The thirteen miles did not seem very long when he thought of them, but as he walked them, they appeared to grow longer and longer, till he felt as if he must have traveled about fifty. He was in good practice and fortunately had on easy shoes. But he was in such a hurry to make good time that he allowed himself no rest and jogged on up hill and down, with the resolute air of one walking for a wager. There we will leave him and see what had befallen Sid, for his adventures were more exciting than news. Though all seemed plain sailing when he started, at Lawton he had parted from his friend and gone on alone, having laid in a store of gingerbread from a baker's cart and paused to eat, drink, and rest by a wayside brook. A few miles further, he passed a party of girls playing lawn tennis, 
and as he slowly rolled along regarding them from his lofty perch, one suddenly exclaimed, Why, it's our neighbor Sidney West. How did he come here? And waving her racket, Alice ran across the lawn to find out. Very willing to stop and display his new uniform, which was extremely becoming, Sid dismounted, doffed his helmet, and spied upon the damsels, leaning over the hedge like a knight of old. Come in and play a game and have some lunch. You will have plenty of time, and some of us are going to the rink by and by. Do we want the boy to help us, for Maurice is too lazy, and Jack has hurt his hand with that stupid baseball, said Alice, beckoning persuasively while the other girls nodded and smiled hopefully. Thus allured, the youthful Ulysses hearkened to the voice of the little seers in a round hat, and entered the enchanted grove, to forget the passage of time as he disported himself among the nymphs. He was not changed to a beast, as in the immortal story, though the three young gentlemen did lie about the lawn in somewhat groveling attitudes. And Alice waved her racket, as if it were a wand, while her friends handed glasses of lemonade to the recumbent heroes during pauses in the game. While thus blissfully engaged, time slipped away, and you passed him in the race, quite unconscious that his brother was reposing in the tent that looked so inviting as the dusty tired boy plodded by, counting every milestone with increasing satisfaction. If I get to Uncle Tim's by one o'clock, I shall have done very well. Four miles an hour is a fair pace, and only one stop. I telegraph to Auntie as soon as I arrive. But you won't worry. She's used to having us turn up all right when we get ready. Thought you, grateful that no over-anxious mama, was fretting about his long absence. The boy said no mother, and Aunt Ruth was an easy old lady, who let them do as they liked, to their great contentment. As he neared his journey's end, our traveler's spirits rose, and the blisters on his heels were forgotten in the dramatic scene his fancy painted, when Sid should discover him at Uncle Tim's or calmly seated at the rink. Whistling gaily, he was passing through a wooded bit of road when the sound of voices made him look back to see a carriage full of girls approaching, escorted by a bicycle rider whose long blue legs looked strangely familiar anxious to keep his secret till the last moment also conscious that he was not in company trim you dived into the wood out of sight while the gay party went by returning to the road as soon as they were hidden by a bend if sid hadn't been so mean i should have been with him and had some of the fun don't feel like forgiving him in a hurry for making me foot it like a chump while he was having such a splendid time. If you could have known what was to happen very soon after he had muttered these words to himself, as he wiped his hot face and took the last sip of the coffee to quench his thirst, he would have been sorry he uttered them and have forgiven his brother everything. While he was slowly toiling up the last long hill, Sid was coasting down on the other side, eager to display his courage and skill before the girls. Being of an age when boys begin to wish to please and astonish the gentler creatures, whom they have hitherto treated with indifference or 
contempt. It was a foolish thing to do, for the road was rough, with steep banks on either side and a sharp turn at the end. But Sid rolled gaily along with an occasional bump, till a snake ran across the road. Making the horse shy, the girl screamed, the rider turned to see what was the matter, and in doing so, Lucy's balance just when a large stone needed to be avoided. Over when Sid down rattled the wheel, up rose a cloud of dust, and sudden silence fell upon the girls at sight of this disaster. They expected their gallant escort would spring up and laugh over his accident, but when he remained flat on his back, where he had alighted after a somersault, with a bicycle spread over him like a pile, they were alarmed and flew to the rescue. A cut on the forehead was bleeding, and the blow had evidently stunned him for a moment. Luckily, a house was near, and a man seeing the accident hastened to offer more efficient help than any the girls had wit enough to give in the first flurry, as all four only flapped wildly at Sid with their handkerchiefs and exclaimed excitedly, What shall we do? Is he dead? Run for water! Call somebody, quick! Don't be scat, girls. It takes a sight of thumping to break a boy's head. He ain't hurt much. Kinder gazed for a minute. I'll set up this pesky machine and set him on his legs if he ain't damaged them. With these cheering words, the farmer cleared away the ruins and propped the fallen rider against a tree, which treatment had such a good effect that Sid was himself in a moment and much disgusted to find what a scrape he was in. This is nothing, a mere bump. Quite right, thanks. Let us go at once. So sorry to alarm you, ladies. He began his polite speech bravely, but ended with a feeble smile and a clutch at the tree, suddenly turning sick and dizzy again. You come along on me. I think are you and your really geek up, young man. No you saying go ahead for the thing is broke, and you want to keep quiet for a spell. Drive along, girls, I see to him. My old woman can nothing better, and a dozen fluttering young things cut half to death. Taking matters into his own hands, the farmer had boy and bicycle under his roof in five minutes. And with vain offers of help, many regrets and promises to let his uncle Tim know where he was, in case he did not arrive, the girls reluctantly drove away leaving no signs of the catastrophe except the trampled road and a dead snake. Peace was hardly restored when you came down the hill, little dreaming what had happened, and for the second time passed his brother, who just then was lying on a sofa in the farmhouse, while a kind old woman adorned his brow with a large black plaster, suggesting brown paper steeped in vinegar for the various bruises in his hands and legs. Some would kill the snake and made a great fuss about it, I should say, thought you of serving the signs of disorder in the dust. But resisting a boy's interest in such affairs, he stoutly tramped on, sniffing the whips of sea air that now and then saluted his nose, telling him that he was nearing his much-desired goal. Presently, the spurs of the city came in spirit, to his great satisfaction, and only the long bridge and a street or two lay between him and Uncle Tim's easy chair, into which he soon hoped to cast himself. Halfway across the bridge, 
a farm wagon passed with the bicycle laid carefully on the barrels of vegetables going to market you gazed affectionately at it longing to borrow it for one brief delicious spin to the bridge and had he known that it was sid's broken wheel going to be repaired without loss of time thanks to the good farmer's trip to town he would have paused to have a hearty laugh in spite of his bow not to stop till his journey was over just as you turned into the side street where uncle tim lived a horse car went by in one corner of which sat a pale youth with a battered hat drawn low over his eyes who handed out his ticket with the left hand and frowned when the car jolted as if the jar hurt him had he looked out of the window he would have seen a very dusty boy with a pouch over his shoulder walking smartly down the street where his relation lived but sid carefully turned his head aside fearing to be recognized for he was on his way to a certain club to which bemis belonged preferring his sympathy and hospitality to the humiliation of having his mishap told at home by uncle tim who would be sure to take you's part and exult over the downfall of the proud well for him that he avoided that comfortable mansion for on the doorstep stood you beaming with satisfaction as the clock struck one proclaiming that he had done his twenty miles in a little less than five hours not bad for a little chap even though he's the donkey chuckled the boy dusting his shoes wiping his red face and touching himself up as well as he could in order to present as fresh and unwearied an aspect as possible when he burst upon his astonished brother's side in he marched when the door opened to find his uncle and two rosy young cousins just sitting down to dinner always glad to see the lads they gave him a cordial welcome and asked for his brother hasn't he come yet cried you surprised yet glad to be the first on the field nothing had been seen of him and you at once told his tale to the great delight of his jolly uncle and the admiring wonder of meg and may the rosy young cousins they all enjoyed the exploit immensely and at once insisted that the pedestrian should be refreshed by a bath a copious meal and a good dress in the big chair where he repeated the story by particular request you deserve a bicycle and you shall have one as sure as my name is timothy west i like pluck and perseverance and you've got both so come on my boy and name the wheel you like best Sid needs a little ticking down as you let say and this will give it to him i fancy i'm a younger brother myself and i know what their trials are as his uncle made these agreeable remarks you looked as if his trials were all over for his face shone with soap and satisfaction his hunger was quenched by a splendid dinner his tired feet luxuriated in a pair of vast slippers and the blissful certainty of owning a first-class bicycle filled his cup to overflowing words could hardly express his gratitude and nothing but the hope of meeting seed with this glorious news would have torn him from the reposeful paradise where he longed to linger pluck and perseverance with cold cream on the blistered hills got him into his shoes again and he rode away in a horse car as if 
in a triumphal chariot to find his brother. I won't brag, but I do feel immensely tickled at this day's work. Wonder how he got on? Did it in two or three hours, I suppose, and is parading round with those well club fellows at the rink. I slip in and let him find me, as if I wasn't a bit proud of what I've done and didn't care two pins for anybody's praise. With this plan in his head, you enjoy the afternoon very much, keeping a short lookout for Sid, even while astonishing feats were being performed before his admiring eyes. But nowhere did he see his brother, for he was searching for a blue uniform and a helmet with a certain badge on it, while Sid in a borrowed hat and coat sat in a corner looking on. Whenever a splitting headache and the pain in his bones allowed him to see and enjoy the exploits in which he had hoped to join. Not until it was over did the brothers meet, as they went out, and then the expression on Sid's face was so comical that you laughed till the crowd about them stared, wondering what the joke could be. How in the world did you get here? asked the older boy, giving his hat a sudden pull to hide the plaster. Walked, as you advised me to. Words cannot express the pleasure that answer gave you, or the exultation he vainly tried to repress, as his eyes twinkled and a grin of real boyish fun shone upon his sunburned countenance. You expect me to believe that, do you? Just as you please, I started to catch with your bag. And when I missed you, thought I might as well keep on. Got in about one, had dinners at uncle's, and been enjoying these hijinks ever since. Very well for a beginning. Keep it up, and you'll be a rowel by and by. What do you suppose father will say to you, small boy? Not much. Uncle will make that all right. He thought it was a flucky thing to do. And so did the girls. When did you get in? Asked you, rather nettled at Sid's want of enthusiasm, though it was evident he was much impressed by the small boy's prank. I took it easy after Bemis slept me. Had a game of tennis at the blank charts as I come along. Dinner at the club and strolled up here with the fellows. Got a headache and don't feel up too much. As Sid spoke, a new skin eye took in the various sign of distress, which betrayed the hint of the truth. The grin changed to a hearty ha-ha, and as he smoothed his knees, exclaiming gleefully, You've come to grief, I know it, I see it. Own up and don't shake, for I'll find it somehow as sure as you live. Don't make such a row in the street, get aboard this car and I'll tell you. Or you'll give me no peace till I do, answered Sid, while knowing that Alice would never keep the secret. To say that it was not, to you vainly expresses the interest, he took in the story, which was extracted bit by bit from the reluctant sufferer. But after a very pardonable crow over the mishaps of his oppressor, he yielded to the sympathy he felt for his brother and was very good to him. This touched Sid and filled him with remorse for his past unkindness. For one sees one's fault very plainly and is not ashamed to own it when one is walking through the valley of humiliation. Look here, I'll tell you what I'll do. 
he said as they left the car and you offered an arm with a friendly air pleasant to see i'll give you the old wheel and let joe get another where he can it's small for him and i doubt if he wants it anyway i do think you were a plucky fellow to trump your twenty miles in good time and not bear malice either so let's say done and forgive and forget much obliged but uncle's going to give me a new one so joe needn't be disappointed and know how hard that is and i'm glad to give him from it for he's poor and can't afford a new one that answer was used only revenge for his own trials and Sid felt it though he merely said with a hearty slap on the shoulder glad to hear it uncle is a trump and so are you we'll take the last train home and i'll pay for your fare thank you poor old man you did get a bump didn't you exclaimed you as they took off their hats in the hall and the patch appeared in all its gloomy length and breadth head will be all right in a day or two but i stove in my helmet and ground a hole in both knees of my new swords had to borrow a fit of pemis and leave my rags behind we needn't mention any more than is necessary to the girls i hate to be fussed over answered sid trying to speak carelessly you had to stop and have another laugh remembering the taunts his own mishaps had called forth but he did not retaliate and sid never forgot it their stay was a short one and you was the hero of the hour quite eclipsing his brother who usually took the first place but now very meekly played second fiddle conscious that he was not an imposing figure in a coat much too big for him with a patch on his forehead a purple bruise on one cheek and a general air of dilapidation very trying to the usually sprouse youth when they left uncle tim patted you on the head a liberty the boy would have resented if the delightful old gentleman had not followed it up by saying with a reckless generosity worthy of record choose your bicycle my boy and send the bill to me and then turning to sid he added in a tone that made the pale face redden suddenly and do you remember that the tortoise bit the hare in the old fable we all know that is the last of the stories for our holiday is over tomorrow we must go home we have had a splendid time and thank you and auntie so much dear grandma said Min, expressing the feeling of all the children as they stood about the fire when the bicycle tell ended i'm so glad my darlings and please god we'll all meet here again next year well happy and ready for more fun answered the old lady with arms and lap full of loving little people auntie deserves a vote of thanks and i raise to propose it said jeff and it was passed with great applause men thinks if the odds and ends in my portfolio have given you pleasure or done you any good my fondest wishes are gratified answered aunt eleanor laughing yet well pleased i tucked a moral in as we hide pills and jelly and i hope you didn't find them very hard to swallow very easy and nice i intend to look after the little things faithfully and tell the girls how to make their jerseys fit said me i'm going to fill my jewel box as stacy did and learn to cook added lottie ellie's the boy for me and i won't forget to be kind to my small chap said walt 
stroking his younger brother's head with unusual kindness. Well, I'm rather mixing my heroes, but I'll take the best of Corny or Nawanda and the Bonner fellow for my share, cried Jeff. The little people proclaimed their favorites, but as all spoke together, only a comical mixture of dogs, bears, babies, tablecloths, and blue hosts reached the ear. Then came the goodnight kisses, the patter of the parting feet, and silence fell upon the room. The little wheel was still, the chair stood empty, the old portraits looked sadly down, the fire died out, and the spinning wheel stories were done. End of chapter 12 End of spinning wheel stories